Check it out. Welcome to Top of the Class. Hear from education experts and get insights from high achievers to learn how you can do the same. Get into those top schools. Ready? Proudly presented by Crimson Education, the world's leader in university admission support. Hey, Jamie, welcome to another episode of College Tips. Always great to be joined by my very knowledgeable co-host. What's been going on in Sydney there, man? That's exciting. Um, we've got uh, some COVID cases, uh, which is not good. But um, other than that, you know, it's, it's relatively sunny here in Sydney. And, um, you know, I think it's uh, quite an ambitious culture. So I, I've enjoyed it. It's fast paced, full of excitement. We just closed a capital raise from a fantastic investor here. So plenty of exciting things happening down under. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know Sydney has got some COVID cases, but luckily it's not too many. So hopefully things stay okay there. Uh, But yeah, the capital raising, very exciting. Another injection in the arm there of Crimson to continue the mission of of building one of the biggest education companies in the world. But today we're here to chat primarily about APs or advanced placements. Now, for a lot of Australian students, if you're listening from Australia or anywhere else around the world, they might not be overly familiar with APs because it's mainly taught in the US, right? Am I right in saying that it's like the US curriculum or is it pretty familiar to other countries as well? So uh, the folks who made the SAT, the College Board, also make the APs, which stands for the Advanced Placement. And this is primarily popular in the US, but it's really spread to China, Korea, even the UK. Um, And now through Crimson Global Academy, we're seeing kids all over the world taking the AP exam. So what this basically is, is it's a way of showing what's called college readiness. Are you prepared to thrive at university? Mm -hmm. And there's a range of subjects from things like BC Calculus, all the way to things like psychology, statistics, US history, uh, and other great subjects. And these exams are out of five. Um, So you can get a one, two, three, four, or five. Generally, a four or five is considered to be a good score. You want to get a five. The exams are offered each May, and um, they play a big role in boosting your odds of getting into these top schools. Uh, And actually, you know, when I was at Harvard, I was able to skip a year of my degree using what's called advanced standing. And you can use the APs to do just that. So typically with four AP fives, if you get them in the right subjects, you can skip a year if you want to of college. There's you know, some really significant benefits to it, but uh, it's basically become a very popular tool um, and uh, you know, academic qualification by ambitious high schoolers all over the world uh, in the last 12, 18 months in particular. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So why has AP taken on more significance in the last, say, 12 months? Is that primarily because of COVID or the changes to the SAT, SAT subject test, like in your view, the sudden boost in uh, you know AP enrollments, where does that primarily come from? There's really two kind of drivers of this. The first is the general kind of competition that you know is unfolding. So with each passing year, the bar is getting a bit higher for these schools. Kids are taking a bit more subjects. They're starting a bit earlier. And um, you know that is particularly magnified at the top schools where there's been you know, more and more international students going through Crimson taking a significant number of subjects. And I can tell you about that shortly. So competition is one factor, but that's more like a gradual incremental phenomena. But the second factor is recently the SAT subject tests got binned. Um, they used to be, you know, one hour multi-choice tests. I sat there myself when applying to schools like Harvard and Stanford and other schools. And um, they, are, they were designed to be able to showcase to these schools your um, ability in certain academic subjects, um, such as, you know, biology, chemistry, physics, et cetera. With those being removed, um, you know, applicants kind of need an alternative way of signaling their ability in certain subjects. And so the APs, you know, have um, really uh, been a great way of fulfilling that void alongside other things like the, you know, rigorous British A-levels. Um, so that that's kind of what's driven this a little bit. The other kind of functional thing is unlike something like the IB diploma, 
which takes two years, is highly structured and is not modular. You've got to do all of it or nothing. The APs, uh, you know, can be set from, you know, a pretty young age. They're offered every May. And so I see lots of students taking them over three or four years as opposed to all in one year. And that flexibility is quite attractive. The third thing is that there's been this growing trend towards computer science and towards uh, the technology industry. And this is a this is a sector that's kind of underserved by traditional high schools and that there isn't very good preparation for this. So things like AP computer science have become popular kind of uh, extra choices by ambitious kids to sort of level up on, on a critical skill that the school system kind of neglects around the world. Right. And just for students trying to get a grasp of how difficult the APs might be, I mean, the name is Advanced Placement. It does sound like a fairly heavy workload. But, you know, for your understanding of different curriculums around the world, where does AP sit relative to others in terms of its difficulty? So um, the AP varies significantly based on the subject you choose. So things like, for example, AP psychology, AP statistics are pretty easy, to be honest. And subjects like AP basic calculus or even AP physics, they are very challenging. So um, on a spectrum, you know, AP basic calculus or some of the AP physics C kind of uh, exams are, you know, really equivalent to, you know, higher level IB or A levels and the associated subjects and are difficult and rigorous. Um, APBC calculus is probably harder than A-level math. Um, but um, uh, on the flip side, subjects like say A-level psychology, you know, um, are very doable. And, and lots of talented students can begin these at a pretty young age, like 13, 14, 15, if they wish to. So I think there is a bit of a spectrum of challenge there. And applicants can kind of, you know, duck and dive and choose the subject they're most prepared for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, AP is certainly one of those things that I have heard is can be super challenging and as you said also can also be quite easy depending on what you choose but like if a student is for instance doing advanced maths at school or really loves maths at school I'm assuming that a lot of what they've already learned at school could then be pretty readily applied to say some of the math subjects in the AP curriculum so they wouldn't be necessarily starting from scratch there right? That's right so how students you know engage with this is that you know they've been to their traditional high schools in Australia or New Zealand or you know, um, other countries. And then they come along to us at our Crimson Global Academy and they can take these extra APs and they've learned some of the content from their existing school system. We then accelerate them, help them get through the additional content, help them learn with like-minded peers, talented teacher, then prepare them to sit the exam and get the, you know, AP result. So um, this is very much something which builds on some of the strengths you've already established in high school. In some cases, students will begin a brand new subject. So they might take, for example, AP microeconomics or AP macroeconomics and, um, you know, may have never had any economics beforehand. But of course, something like, you know, APBC calculus builds on the math foundation the student's been growing for several years. I was actually just talking to Eunice, who, who got into Harvard and had done quite a few APs. And she had made the decision that in some instances where she got a four instead of a five, she didn't actually report it to the university. And so in the admissions side of things, it's one of those things that like, if you get a five, great, report it. If you get a four, is it an optional thing that you don't have to necessarily let the universities know that you're wanting to, or that you've sat the exam and and got a four? So the rules kind of vary from school to school. Some schools do require you to report all grades. Others are, you know, flexible for you to report the ones you wish to. But it does vary and it's important to check because some of the schools can be strict about this uh, criteria. So you wouldn't want to, for example, you know, not report something when you had to for a certain school. That can put you in a bit of trouble. So there is flexibility, but it varies based on the school. And as far as kind of what you just mentioned, 
it's broadly correct that you basically want to be shooting for fives in the AP. And, you know, a five is not a hundred percent, you know, a five is just enough of the exam correct that they give you a five. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a a significant portion of our crimson students do land fives in their APs. And, you know, I often see kids like resetting a four and definitely you don't want to, you don't really want to have any ones, twos or threes. It's quite hard to score one, two or three if you've kind of like done your homework. So uh, that would be sort of the college admissions dynamic. Okay. So let's talk about some case studies about real life examples of students who have done their local curriculum or whichever curriculum they've done and have supplemented their local curriculum with the APs, knowing that most of these kids have also probably done the SAT or ACT as well. And then as a result of of successfully gained admission. So if you're looking at some of these like top universities or top students, what is like a rough estimate of AP courses that a student might tend to sit to help them stand out from the crowd? It's a good question. So it varies based on the rigor of the local curriculum you're taking and the kind of competitive market for which you're applying from to these schools. Um, I'll give you an extreme example to start with. So one of my students just got into Harvard from Shanghai. Now, this is non-trivial because Shanghai and China is probably the most competitive region to apply for the US from. And this is because the you know intense academic culture, the you know, huge number of applicants and the limited number of slots. So this student was able to get into Harvard and, you know, he was a very talented STEM student. Over the course of three years, he took 17 AP exams, scoring Mm. fives in all of them. So, you know, that is an example of uh, somebody who early on with Crimson, you know, we decided together that he was shooting for top schools. He had some serious academic potential and we wanted to really turbocharge that and, you know, make sure he was pursuing, you know, a pretty aggressive um, exam schedule to really highlight to these schools the very diverse academic skills he'd built across this wide range of subjects. So uh, that's kind of where the goal of 17 came from. So he ended up taking APs in history of art, biology, calculus, chemistry, computer science, English language, French language, macroeconomics, microeconomics, music theory, physics, electricity, physics, mechanics, psychology, stats, and US history. And I better have some water. So that, that, that gives <laughs> you a sense of like, um, you know, all the APs the student took. Now, on the flip side, we regularly get in, you know, kids across the U.S. who have, you know, four APs. I can think of one of my students now at Stanford who took four APs and, um, you know, she, I think, got a four on one of them, actually. So uh, there is a spectrum. If you're applying and you're doing something like the, you know, A-levels or the IB and you're in a foreign country, um, even doing like two or three to, or, or even one in an additional subject, like taking AP computer science with us alongside your traditional school is, you know, a fantastic opportunity that a lot of students are doing at Crimson Global Academy. So, you know, I, I'd say one to 17 is probably the range uh, that you can you can go for. And I see sort of top two applicants often having 10, 11, 12. But again, it varies. Like if your local curriculum is weak, you need more. If your local curriculum is like the IB or something, which is pretty rigorous, then, you know, you don't need as many and you don't need to initially double up on your subjects. Another one of my students just got into Stanford from New Zealand. He had eight A-levels and I think he had four AP subjects. So he kind of combined both. Wow. Yeah. So taking a really diverse range of courses there. And you've mentioned ranges in terms of the number of subjects, but also you've been mentioning a couple of, you know, ages where students might look at some of these APs, you know, the younger, the better, I guess, in some instances, if they're able to do it. Uh, But usually you'd probably try and avoid doing APs in your final year of high school. Is that correct? Um, You can definitely do it. I mean, lots of students take in the last year. The problem is just depending on which hemisphere you're in, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, sometimes you don't get the exam results back um, by the time you apply. So you just have predicted grades, which are fine, but it's much better to have actually achieved the APs. So a lot of the reason people push hard to get a lot of APs done in the first several years is that you actually have the results. You can show them to the schools 
there's no speculation. And so, you know, the senior APs tend to get discounted more than the, the APs in that last year. In a place like, say, New Zealand or Australia, you could definitely still take APs in your, in your year 12 or year 13 year because, you know, you're not applying until November. So you can sit them in May and then be applying in November, have your results back already. That's totally chill. So I think it does vary a bit. So Southern Hemisphere, I'd say you can do them all the way into your last year. Northern Hemisphere, you still can, but you're not going to get as much credit if you took them early and already achieved your grades. Right, right. And just as like a ballpark estimate from you based on the number of students you've worked with, if you've got uh, students applying to the Ivies, Stanford, MIT, and even like to the lesser extent, the UK schools, I know they probably would prefer A-levels, I'm guessing. But if we're mainly looking at the US, how many students do you think would be doing extra subjects on top of their local curriculum and the SAT or ACT? Well, let me say this, because, uh, you know, obviously I see like a cross-section of very ambitious students that you know, are really opting into a pretty high octane path. And the ones working with me in particular tend to be pushing hard. But I think in general, I'll say of our 300 plus admitted students to the Ivy League, of them probably, you know, more than 200 would have either done an international curriculum like APs, A-levels or IB, or they would have combined their local curriculum with some of these extra subjects to kind of, you know, really strengthen their profile. So I would say it's generally a pretty good idea. There's just not many ways for you to differentiate academically within just curriculum alone. If you don't take one of these kind of modular things like A-levels or AP, begin them early, put up a lot of subjects. And, you know, I've seen people running an A-level strategy, an AP strategy, you know, sometimes you would have NZQA scholarships in a place like New Zealand, but a lot of them are um, tending towards it. This is for those top schools. Of course, the bar is lower for other types of universities, but through the lens of these top schools, it's pretty common. Yeah. And now if we're looking at how to learn APs, obviously we're here in part because CGA, the Crimson Global Academy, is offering APs as well. Can you talk through some of the options that students have to learn APs through Crimson? Kind of two ways to do this for students. So the first is we provide you know, one-on-one tutoring. We've got thousands of mentors that you know come from places like Harvard, Stanford, MIT, Yale, et cetera. You know, Crimson's really the only education company globally that has that talent network at these top schools because many of our team have been to these places and we've got a really strong brand on campus. So we were able to recruit many of these students who have just nailed many, many, many AP subjects, A-levels. They can tutor you online very effectively through one-on-one or you can pursue the Crimson Global Academy. You can join our um, school um, part-time or full-time. If you go full-time, you can even get a full US high school diploma or part-time, you can just take these extra APs with us in a small group class. So two different ways for you to learn your APs, but, you know, CGA is definitely becoming very popular for our students um, around the world. Yeah, well, we look forward to having a couple of the teachers on the show as well to talk about, like, how to nail the different AP exams that they specialize in. And, uh, yeah, we'll give some students uh, details about how they can get involved in the AP classes through CGA. And, of course, as you said, with the one-on-one tutoring, they can always do that too. But uh, any other final thoughts on taking the AP and supplementing an application to top universities with that, you know, bolstered academic rigor? Just that you want to start early because, basically, if you begin early, you just have more years to get through more subjects. So if I say 17 AP, it sounds a bit nuts. But that's, if, if you did it in one year, it probably would be nuts. But if you did it over three years and you're thinking about, you know, say six a year, that's starting to become a lot more reasonable. If you stagger over four years, you know, four a year, even more reasonable. So with these things, like you got to begin early. So really come chat to us. We can definitely support and figure out what subjects you can handle. We give you a lot of different diagnostics, see what academic ability you currently are at and how we get you rolling down that path. But you do want to begin it early. So you're not trying to like chase many subjects during those final phases where you should be thinking about things like application essays, mm-hmm. et cetera. So um, this is definitely something where, beginning early has significant competitive advantage. And, you know, the good thing is it really helps you in your future as well because these subjects like computer science, you know, calculus, 
they're going to build enduring skills within you, which will really help you, you know, within your job market pursuits as well. And computer science, for example, is the second most popular career path for Crimson alumni right now around the world, going to work companies like Google, Facebook, you know, DeepMind, um, Uber, and, you know, many other awesome organizations. So do think about this pretty seriously, both from a candidacy perspective, but also for preparing for a, you know, competitive job market where you can really thrive. Thanks, Jamie. Always great to chat. Look forward to sharing the episode far and wide. Thanks for listening to Top of the Class. Subscribe for future episodes. For show notes and to plan your best future, head to crimsoneducation.org.